that when we're in the moment and we have the problem is so overwhelming, we can't see our way through it and we don't know how to get out of it. We just have to keep that understanding that there's something just beyond that don't react emotionally to what is going on in the moment. Just know that there's something else just beyond that will even it out or make it better for you, that there's a reason why you're going through what you're going through. And it's going to make it so much more beautiful when you get to the other side. It's a very difficult process, but when you are of the mindset that there's going to be something that evens it out just beyond what you're going through, keep your eyes on that and give your burdens to Jesus. Give your burdens to God by by not worrying because worrying in the moment is only going to keep your mindset down and it's not going to actually help you get through what you need to get through. You need a clear mind to get through and work through the issue. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Time again. Thanks for coming in to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. I'm Dr. James Purdue, a professor of perseverance himself. Hey, uh, you know, this is, uh, we're going to get on a topic here. It's a rare for some of us, but maybe not for uh, rare for a lot of us, but not for all of us. Okay. And so the topic here is going to, we're going to talk to a guy that's been incarcerated. He's been locked up because he got into burglarizing pharmacies. And so we're going to find out what's happened here and how he has turned his life around. He actually has his own podcast. He calls it a a Godcast, the Goodness Over Darkness podcast. So let's go ahead and get started here with Todd Armstrong. Hey, thank you for coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Now, we say uh, Todd Armstrong, but on your uh, visual here name, you have Emmanuel Kingman. Uh, that so, is correct. Uh, and so we'll get into the uh, the name here and here in a little bit as we go along. But uh, thank you for being here. Appreciate uh, all you're, you're doing. Appreciate you sharing some good light and some good information. Help us, you know, get some inspiration, motivation. Help us get encouraged. Know that there's hope out there and we can still live a good life. Now, you know, depending on what we go through, you know, we can still have a good life whether we bring it on ourselves, the uh, tragedy, or it's brought on for us. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we can still have a good life, uh, uh, depending on how we focus things. Right. We always have the power. That's the thing. It's things we think things happen to us. Some people think we're doing things to ourselves. I think it's a combination of both. But we always have the power to change what is happening and how we perceive what is happening. Amen. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd like a... I'm in a wheelchair. I don't know what you know much about me, but I'm in a wheelchair. I'm a neck broke playing football two weeks into college. And uh, for me, for a while, it was poor, pitiful me. You know, mm. why did this happen to me? Instead of me trying to get out and, you know, I put a face on the front of people, you know, try to hide, you know, what's going on with me, the anger, the depression, and what I was scared of. And so, um, but eventually people see through all that. 
And so then it's time to uh, finally wake up and uh, do something to have a have a good life. So, all right, Todd, a.k.a. Emmanuel, let's go ahead and get started here. So you were incarcerated for burglarizing pharmacies. So take us into what got you uh, inspired or motivated to do this. Well, so I was a drug addict for uh, most of a decade, if not a full decade, from my teenage years up until my early 20s. So it was seven years ago, I was arrested for burglarizing a series of pharmacies. And I, you know, through a string of unfortunate events, however, someone wants to say that it happened, it happened that I landed in jail. I was burglarizing pharmacies to get the drugs. I had this terrible great idea that instead of paying for drug dealers for the pills i might as well just burglarize the pharmacies so uh, i did that and then i got caught after a few weeks and i went upstate it was the first time i went to jail uh so i i just really wanted it to be over and uh i mean i was not in a, an environment that i wanted to be in so it was my 90th day in jail I prayed to God and it was the first time, first thing I did or the first time I prayed, I'm sorry, in over a decade, easily over a decade. And from that point on, I've prayed every single night since, and my life has gotten better day by day because of uh, my asking God for assistance and stop trying to do it all on my own. There you go. Now we get, we've got to understand here. What was your addiction? Okay, so I was addicted to pharmaceuticals, and uh, I'm, what I'm really understanding now is that it's uh, that the pharmaceutical industry is not a very good thing. It's actually in the Bible, the Greek term is pharmakia, which is witchcraft and sorcery. And the entire time I was addicted, I would always say that I was addicted to pharmaceuticals. So what it mostly was were, were painkillers, but there was a large time of this where I would switch from the painkillers to then Suboxone with Klonopin or Xanax, whatever these uh, doctors who are now in federal prison for doing all these illegal means, accepting cash from drug addicts to write them prescriptions uh, to get that quote unquote, get them off, but uh, of the drugs that they're on, but it didn't, it just switched one thing to the other so that they could make a boatload of cash. And uh, so when I say pharmaceuticals, it was I would I would do the uh, scissor, as some people call or lean, uh, you know, it's the painkillers with the uh, the cough medicine, uh, but painkillers and was 30 milligram Percocet or 15 milligram Percocet. They were or oxycodone. They were mm-hmm. my go to for the most uh-huh. part. But, but like I said, it would switch between. So it was really any pharmaceuticals. It wasn't cocaine and heroin or crack. There's the three things. I never did meth. I never did those things. It was always the pharmaceutical industry type of things that would get you high is what I was addicted to. This is kind of funny, not funny, 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 but I'm thinking, I'm thinking, um, I'd rather do it the pharmaceutical way where to be supposedly more, safer than the stuff out there you have no idea what's going on in there well and, you would uh, think uh but then with the would, fentanyl today that's yeah, oh exactly yeah they have these press pills that are just completely fentanyl or mixed with fentanyl that they're not even real pharmaceuticals that they're not made by by 
uh, doctors and laboratories are made by criminals in warehouses and then pushed off as so it's very dangerous no no matter what you look at today it's a, a dangerous field but yeah like you're saying you would think and I think maybe I I felt at the time that I was superior to others while I was in jail because oh I'm all I'm in here because I was doing pills you know and yeah people who were doing meth I was in there with a lot of meth heads and they would uh, they would look at me like, oh, all you were doing was pills. Why are you here? And, uh, you know, like yeah. as if it wasn't a, a, a real addiction or it wasn't a, a real danger. Oh, you know, as well as I do, you can be addicted to anything and then oh, get yeah. your butt in trouble. You know, uh, for me, it's a banana split. So if I go knock <laughs> off a Dairy Queen to get me some to get my kick on a banana split, I still go to jail. That's so, right. you know, as well as I do, you're addicted. We're all addicted to something. Yes. It's just how out of control you get with it is where the problem comes. So, yep. all right. Uh, well, I'm sorry that you got into that. Now, let's get into some back history. Uh, is there anything upbringing that might have put you on this road of uh, the pills? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So when I was uh, a child, and this is something that I've now remembered, they, they were suppressed or repressed. I'm not sure the difference between the two words, but they were memories that I wasn't actively remembering in the time. But since I've had my awakening process, I've come to remember them very well. That uh, from, I don't know exactly when it started, five, six, or seven, but till about maybe like 10 or 11, uh, I I was being sexually active i'll say not abuse necessarily because it was mm-hmm. with uh children my age that that were doing these things uh to me and you know vice versa so it was but it stemmed from an adult abusing one of the children and then you know that's how it chain, always chain goes. reaction yeah uh so that was that definitely played a big part in it there were different moments that i've remembered where i stopped trusting authority figures like Right around that same time, I was with a friend, a different friend, who uh, his mother took us to the park, and she said to us, I remember this very specifically, she said, if any strangers come and talk to you, uh, don't talk to them and come tell me. And I remember uh, some little boy or girl, I don't remember which, came up to talk to us that I didn't know, so I went and told her, and she laughed at me. And I remember, like, you just told me if a stranger talks to me to tell you, and now you're laughing in my face. So at that moment, I think I really uh, distrusted authority. And it's not that she was doing this with intention of hurting me or changing me in that manner. She didn't necess- She didn't know what was happening to me with a child yeah, my yeah, age yeah, and yeah, why yeah. I would assume that, but it's still, it shaped me. And I yeah. stopped trusting authority figures. You tell me one thing and then do laugh at me when I do it. So then why do I trust authority? So then I grew up with an issue with authority. And maybe okay, that's hold, not hold the on, only hold here for you for you. We'll get going there. So do you think when she laughed at you, do you think she's going, I, I'm not talking about kids. I'm right. talking about an, an adult coming up. Right. And yeah. It's funny. You didn't, but you didn't, yeah, you didn't look at, you didn't look at the differential. Right. But she's yeah. probably saying, adults you right. know you see an adult stranger come and talk to you hey run come tell us and when you say hey that little girl or little boy i don't know him she and she's going 
<laughs> she should have explained it to you. Hold on, hold on there. Right. I, I mean, I, I mean, an adult, you don't. I'm not talking to instead of laughing it off. Okay, so there's where you start getting some mistrust. You know, you told me one thing and then it's uh, a joke to you when I do it. Right. Well, and she didn't know that I was being, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Used or sexually active with a child yet. already. So, yeah. you know, to me, it's like I, I, I'm looking at it now that that was pretty much a cry for help that I think that mm -hmm. uh, a little kid, whether it's a boy or a girl, is coming up to me and that's a danger to me. You know, when I reflect on that, I'm like, well, that's kind of like a, a cry for help that uh, there's something not correct there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. to her, she wasn't doing it with ill will or anything like that. But it was it would would be funny to the typical adult, you know, because kids take things very literal. So, you know, that's how her view was. Oh, he's just taking it literal. But to me, as the child, yeah, uh, um, there was a reason for it. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, you, you know, they they always I don't have any children. So uh, but uh, I've read and listen to some stuff and they'll say, you know, they teach their kids, uh, hey, a stranger come up to you, you run if they try to do anything to you. Uh, but these kids are so vulnerable, they don't know what a stranger is, really. I mean, because mm -hmm. they're so open at that young and everything. So they're thinking a stranger is, uh, I don't know, Frankenstein, you know, uh, mm -hmm. a monster looking thing, right. you know. A regular person and it's got a dog they're going to say oh yeah i can help you find that dog you know right. or or uh, yeah i can help you find little Susie, little johnny you know because they're right. they're thinking of some monster out there and see they had to learn to to, to, to uh, tell the kids you know we're not talking monster they could be the best nice looking person you've ever met but if they try to do something you need to get help yeah so yeah and so that, that yeah back in your day, yeah, it was much thought of a monster, not necessarily a stranger. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, that's all right. Yeah, so I kind of grew up without uh, trust and authority, and then uh, so I grew up in a household. It was fairly normal. I don't want to say that that uh, my childhood was too out of the norm of what people experience, but I was growing up in a household where yelling was the go-to communication technique. Uh, my parents mm -hmm. were always yelling at each other my mother was always bickering about my father when he, you know he would be at work it would always be oh your father this your father that you know whenever we would get in trouble i'm going to tell your father trying to intimidate me and that was another thing that was like i'm not afraid of authority you're just you're you're just feeding the flames here like that's not mm -hmm. going to scare me a uh, fear of consequence never worked for me and it doesn't work for a lot of people who end up in prison uh, mm -hmm. because we're like, okay, test me. You know, it's that kind of attitude that people that end up in prison really have for the most part. Uh, so when I, I didn't know how to communicate with people, I had three brothers, two older brothers, one younger, but we were very separated in age. My young, my younger brother is almost seven years younger than me. My oldest brother's uh, 10 years older than me. So, uh, I mean, we have a 17 year age gap between the four of us. And, my older brother, he was getting in trouble at school, acting out in different ways, four years older than me. So when I'm coming up, I, I was a fairly good kid at school, you know, getting straight A's and not getting in trouble and up until fifth grade. But once I hit sixth grade, where my brother had caused a bunch of trouble, following in his footsteps, now the teachers are treating me in a certain way. So then I lived up to 
what and then i was yeah and i was way worse than my brother ever could have been because you see it's uh, i used to be a school teacher and Mm -hmm. we would hear uh when i first started i that student was so-and-so's brother and i finally started going don't tell me anything about any kid Mm -hmm. you know that way i don't get this expectation or this thought process of what they're coming from or how they're doing Uh, i want to learn this myself and because I, uh, the you you were done wrong. There's no way they should penalize you because you're your brother. But yeah, the a lot of teachers they'll do that. They come from this certain one family. You got to watch out for them. Yeah, and it's totally wrong on the kids coming through there. Yeah, so. and it wasn't just me. All my friends, all, our brothers were all friends. They were three and four years older than us, and they mm-hmm. all hung out, and they got into some trouble, you know, as teenagers yeah. do. But what that did, that really put a target on all of us, and we got in a lot of trouble because not only was the school treating us this way, and it's a, a small town of uh, right outside of Philadelphia. So, I mean, w- our school, my class probably had uh, – you know, my my age group uh, probably had like about 30 kids, 25 to 30 kids in each class and three classes. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not talking about more than 90 kids in uh, in my grade school. So uh, in my age, you know, uh, in my grade. So mm-hmm. what ends up happening is we're 14 and our brothers are 17 and 18 getting in trouble. Now, the police are doing it way worse to us than the teachers ever did. But the teachers actually said we were having race, racist gang wars when we would fight with other white kids. We, you know, it was generally white kids and we never had any race issues. Like there was not really anyone outside of our race there, but they sent letters home to the entire school saying that we mm-hmm. were having racist gang wars and the police would stalk us. We've actually had to uh, have lawsuits against the police for harassing us because they would just come up to us and start searching us for no reason just because there would be 10 or 15 of us walking down the street and they would they would stop and harass us and yeah so it's a whole community not just the educational system saying watch out for todd because his older brother came through so they had the whole community basically going watch out for this certain group of family this it's it's bleeding down through everybody coming through here yeah so yeah yeah you know, I, I could see i could see especially in a small town and they're wanting to try to get a hold of everything to right. make life in and where they're making things worse in their trying so hard I, yeah i can i can understand and say that yeah yeah uh, and it, it really it's we, understandable but it's yeah. not right right of course. And I see their side that they want to squash the bug before, but they'd spawned some things that they yeah, had yeah. no idea. They couldn't uh, anticipate what happened, but we all became gangsters, essentially, that we were doing things. We were fighting adults, like 30 year old men, 20, when we're 15, 16 years old, like getting in really big kinds of like 10 people uh, in a fight, like literally almost every weekend uh i had friends that were stabbed we people were going to jail people were ODing uh on a consistent basis i mean these things were happening in this small town and what it was the way it was handled by the adults was not how kids who are crying out for help 
should have been held. Like I said, we've fed our egos and our sense of, okay, come test us. You know, you want to, mm-hmm. you want to treat us this way. Well, we're going to act that way, but we're going to do it in a way that's better. That's you can't even imagine what we're going to do because we're thinking of, you know, you're thinking we're going this way, but we're going around you doing it in a sneakier way. It made us better criminals uh, in that mm-hmm. sense. It made us become drug addicts who were all trauma based that, all my friends had a lot of different traumas. They all were single family homes. Well, if, had, you're to, if you're going to think of me this way and blame me this way, then I might as well be that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. I had two parents uh, in my household, but everyone else around me, they were uh, single moms. Uh, and there were deaths from their parents or siblings and a, a lot of drug usage uh, be, because we're in a small town and we don't have much to do and we get harassed by the police at 13, 14 years old. Well, we can't hang out at the park at night. The park's the only place to go because they shut down the arcade and the bowling alley and the movie theater. They shut that down when we turn that age. So now all we have to do is smoke weed and drink uh, uh, teenagers. And we're doing that in cemeteries, which is probably bringing spirits into us. And we're inviting these things in that we had no idea what we were doing. And we yeah. all became drug addicts. Every single one of us went to jail, became drug addicts. Like I said, uh, o- overdosed and died. We were stabbed. Uh, I mean, just a lot of different things were happening because of, you know, one thing led to another. And it was, yeah. of course, it was all our actions, but the way that we were treated and it was kind of like we were brought into that. All right. Now, uh, so let's go ahead and move uh, back to the current state you said you were very beginning you were locked up for uh, burglarizing pharmacies and Mm -hmm. how how many how much time did you get so i did uh so my sentence was a two years i took a sentence that would help me get clean off the drugs i had to do a therapeutic community that would uh for four months uh and it was so i was upstate for a year i was in county prison for six months i was in a halfway house for six months and then after that, I completed my sentence uh, and and I didn't fail any drug tests. I didn't show up late to the halfway house. You know, I didn't get any yeah. bad reports so that I was just scot free. Amen, brother. So, all right. So a uh, two year sentence, basically, uh, from this. And so uh, you said in the first the 90th day, you decide to call out for help. Yeah. And, and so. From that point on, took you into prayer every day. Yeah. So the first 89 days, I was still saying to myself, like, if I get bailed out, I'm going to go get high. Like, I'm going to go mm-hmm. get high. And then that that 90th day, I prayed, and I wasn't a drug addict anymore. There was some kind of switch in me that mm-hmm. I just I didn't have the urge, the, the thought to get high anymore. It just wasn't there. It was like this veil was lifted that was covering me. Yeah. Satan, get that drug addict thing behind. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. Um, you know, we hear other people talk uh, stories about praying, and um, uh, not everybody talks about it happening instantaneously. You know, I had to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, and working on myself, working on myself, working on myself, and eventually it come. Mm-hmm. But to hear when it happens instantaneously and the bible says you know this stuff would do it you know instantaneously it would come right you know for us 
So yeah, well, it was so I was saved by Jesus Christ last January, and so this was when I prayed uh, was seven years ago. So it was a very long process to be saved or to mm-hmm. have the beginning stages of being saved. Uh, but yeah, it was my prayer was answered immediately, and I just kept the thought that. I want to better myself tomorrow. I want to be better tomorrow than I was today. And I want to be better today than I was yesterday. That was my mindset. And in doing that was, okay, I'm going to pray every single night. And if, if it keeps working, I'm going to keep doing it. And I kept doing it and it kept working. So there was no need to ever stop doing it. There you go. Um, now, um, oh shoot. So, uh, they get you a, uh, a Bible while you're in, because I know they have libraries in prison, and uh, they so do have libraries. And someone, someone get you a Bible uh, there to study on. Yeah, well, so I read when I got to state prison. I we did have libraries in both uh, county and state, but uh, I read a lot of different fiction books. Was really what passed my time. I did have a uh, Bible, and I read through the whole New Testament within like three weeks, but. Mm-hmm. It was in one ear and out the other. It didn't really yeah. stick. It, okay. it didn't. And uh, so my walk with Jesus uh, had just began last year. Uh, like I said, so up, so that the previous six years I was bettering myself. Like I was two hundred and eighty pounds. I lost a hundred pounds. I was exercising. Uh, I was learning new languages on a, a free app called Duolingo. For I just felt mm-hmm. compelled to do certain things like that. Uh, but I was very strict in being having integrity and making sure that I was doing the proper things when nobody was looking, because that was something that I had a problem with uh, when, because I was very sneaky, I was able to sneak around and, and, you know, steal things here and there and, and, and do that type of stuff. So it was very important to me to have integrity and to understand God was always watching me, even if no other human was. Okay. So the first 90 day, the 90th day, you, prayer uh pray to uh god and uh he he took away your um drug addiction wanting to do or whatnot okay but then you said it took how long for you to get saved praying every day and everything like that so how long how many years how many days weeks months uh, to finally get saved so this was last year was the Sunday after the presidential inauguration, actually, uh, that mm-hmm. I I was saved through an injury. I had so I'm a truck driver uh, and I got this job. Like I said, I was learning a language, Spanish for two years on Duolingo that I didn't need for any reason. Then all of a yeah. sudden I moved to Georgia and I find myself working for a Mexican company delivering Hispanic food to Hispanic there restaurants. You go, preparing. Yep. Yeah, preparing. So God had already put that in your your thought process. You yes, need sir. to know some of this uh, Spanish stuff, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so when I'm working last January, it was a the Friday after the inauguration. I had 400 pounds of chicken and cheese on my dolly, and I went to pull it up uh, over a uh, curb, and it didn't come up. I slipped on a wet floor. The whole thing fell on me. Mm. I landed on my spine. And I was in so much pain. I thought that I uh, had was paralyzed. I couldn't feel yeah. my legs. Uh, this whole thing had me pinned down, and there were only two older uh, Mexican uh, women who spoke no English. 
and I I couldn't think in Spanish because I was in so much pain. Oh yeah. So they couldn't really help me. So finally I was able to, they lifted it up enough so I could slide myself out with my hands because I had no feeling in my legs at all. And my very first thought was that, oh my God, I'm paralyzed because I, I couldn't feel my legs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I ended up finishing work that day. And not only that, but I worked the next day as well. But I was in so much pain and it, it was, in a, I was in a very bad way. I only worked because i work a job that if you don't show up you don't get paid and i was not in a position to not work so i worked through it but i was also i had this intuitive thought to which i learned to trust my intuition as i started awakening and Mm -hmm. i had this intuitive thought the day before my injury to get a big old bag of tobacco to burn in a fire and so that weekend i was burning tobacco which turns out i found out afterwards is a native american practice to ward off evil spirits uh, so, you know, Friday, Saturday, I, I do that. And then Sunday I drink tea that would help ease the pain. And I'm laughing because I've been drinking tea all day. That has me mm-hmm. a little goofy. And, uh, so I'm laughing with my daughter and I feel like I have to throw up all of a sudden. And so then I, as quickly as I can, which isn't very fast, I get to my bedroom and then I don't have the urge. I stop laughing. I don't have the urge to throw up. Then my girlfriend makes me laugh. And then the urge comes back and I have to go to the bathroom real bad. And I have two big hurls. And what happened was I was delivered uh, as uh, Christians would know. I didn't know this was a thing at the time that mm-hmm. I had. I threw up demons that when I had that injury, it was knocking something free out of me. And it was like God was giving me new legs, essentially. And that's why I couldn't feel it. And and the laughing, the love that I felt for my daughter and my girlfriend is what put it over the edge on top of the burning of tobacco and yeah. uh, and all. Uh, I was free, and I was in a state of bliss for 10 straight days. Uh, then the only thought that came to me was I had been saved by Jesus Christ. That that's And that was the beginning of my saving process. Amen, brother. So yeah, this is awesome, man. Awesome story. Good stuff here. So, all right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing what the, the good Lord can do for us. Mm-hmm. And would he sometimes sits back and let us do to ourselves, so we can come back to him? Yes, uh, because we know better than God, and so he'll let us go out there and show how much we know, and then he realizes we realize that we go back to him. <laughs> and oh, so yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he'll 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 uh, what's the old thing? He'll give us enough rope to hang ourselves. That's right. Uh, from that, yeah, and in in a loving way. Okay, yeah. and we don't think it's a loving way. We go back and try to want to blame him, but mm-hmm. no, you know, like you said, we have the ultimate superior power to make these decisions, and yeah. then we go back and do what's supposed to be done the right way, yeah. uh, with our tails tucked between our legs and ask for forgiveness. Yeah, it's the power of free will. He gives us that free will, and he wants us to turn to him of our own fruition. He doesn't want to force us to do anything. So it was really this process. And so during my awakening process, you know, I had done meditation that really saved me from the, all that anger. Like I was saying earlier, I learned how to uh, talk by yelling as a child mm-hmm. and a teenager. Well, I learned to undo all that by meditation, all the self-help type stuff. I became psychic all of a sudden. 
and, and I had done all these different healing modalities like psychedelics. So I thought I had this understanding of what it was like to be healed and to, to be saved and to save myself and, and that type of thing. And that was nothing compared to what Jesus did for me and what he's been doing for me ever since. So it was like kind of this new age mentality, not that I was into the new age. I, I wasn't labeling myself as anything, but mm -hmm. I kind of just through the methods of healing that I was doing. And a lot of people do, uh, you know, self-help meditation, all that type of stuff as psychedelics, especially are very big uh, in today's age. Like I, I was there and I did all that type of stuff and that was nothing compared to what Jesus did for me. And he showed yeah. me like, Oh, you don't need any of that stuff. Actually. Like there, there are good steps and they were necessary for me at the time that I did them. I'm sure they're necessary for other people who use them. I'm, I don't want to poo poo them, but mm -hmm. if you just give yourself to him and allow him to work through you, that's all you ever need. And so the message I was talking, trying to spread before being saved by Christ versus now that I have my podcast and what the message that I'm spreading are two very different things. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a podcast then and I see why, but, and I see how everything's lining up for me now that it's, I'm spreading his message. And it's not that I'm spreading the message that you can save yourself by doing these different healing modalities, but I do bring people on, uh, that talk about these things on my podcast, but it's, you know, it's a different circumstance and people who haven't been saved yet. Uh, it's hard mm -hmm. for them to understand that they could, there's so much more that Jesus Christ gives you than what we could get through meditation and so on. Oh yeah. It take, takes the, uh, the unsaved, it takes them a little while to, to try to figure some of this out and they don't care to figure it out. It's confusing because they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so to rather than try to get the unconfused and get saved, they want to battle it out and, then I mean, then it's up to them. You know, there's nothing more I can do with it. You know, right. they're neither going to uh, turn to Jesus or they're going to continue on and just forget it anyway. So it's that free uh, it goes, back, goes back to the power. That's right. So, all right. And so uh, we have uh, Todd Armstrong here, a.k.a. now Emmanuel Kingman. Okay. He goes by because of getting saved. And so, brother, I'm glad that uh, you come on the podcast. It's about time for us to wrap it up here. But, uh, man. Your story of uh, the pharmaceutical uh, burglaries, going in, getting uh, the uh, good stuff for you to get high, um, leading you to the road of being saved and helping other people. Um, sometimes, and I say this uh, multiple times, I know my listeners are tired of hearing it, but sometimes we got to walk through the fertilizer to be able to smell that rose. And mm. so, um, so you know, so you, you had to take the hard route, but look. The, the glory that has come afterwards and the life that you have and the life that you're going to be able to uh, fulfill and, and, and pull over to others for them to see and witness. So it's amazing. And I appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on to be able to share my story. It's a, it's, there's so much to it and I'm so glad that we were able to get, you know, walk through the steps as quickly as we did because sometimes I can get a little wordy, but I love okay. being here and uh, thank you so much for allowing me to share my story. You're welcome, Emmanuel. So, Hey, um, go ahead and tell your website or any social media, how people you may, uh, may want to find you. 
Okay, yeah, my website's emmanuelkingman.com. It's I-M-M-A-N-U-E-L-Kingman.com. And that's a name that Jesus gave me as he wrote me into the Book of Life. And switch, my name was switched from Todd Armstrong to Emmanuel Kingman. Uh, and you can find my uh, all my social media is linked on the top of my website. Uh, so Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is what I'm on. Uh, my YouTube channel is Goodness Over Darkness. And uh, my email is thegreatchakraawakening777 at gmail.com. And I do free consultations for people, anyone who's having any kind of trouble in any sense. As we talked about here, we breeze through all my different things that I've been through, but I can relate to very many people for very many different things. I didn't even talk about the romantic issues that uh, I had with my daughter's mother. So I can relate to many different people on many different levels, whether you're a crazy conspiracy theorist, you know, I myself am one of them. So if you have some wild ideas that you want to talk about in any kind of capacity, I don't turn anyone away. I talk to them. I give them at least one free consultation, which is 30 to 60 minutes. And then from there, you know, you can see if you want to continue to work with me or you might not even need to. So uh, you can definitely hit me up on uh, through a DM on any of my social media or through an email, and I will do my best to help you get to Jesus Christ or get to God. Amen. And uh, your podcast show again. Yeah, my podcast is Godcast, the Goodness Over Darkness podcast. You can see behind me my logo right there, and then uh, the name of the podcast right there. And you can find it on any audio platform. And like I said on YouTube, it's just Goodness Over Darkness. And you can find my the video portion of my podcast on there. Amen, brother. And uh, again, glad you're here. I'm glad that you were to be overly whelmed, saved, and uh, continue on now that you now that you can really witness and help other people now too. So I really appreciate all that. Now, hey, Emmanuel, you know that uh, there's people hurting and struggling today, and if you could give us a powerful message that would help them get through today, that'd be a blessing. Okay, so what I'm thinking right now is that when we're in the moment and we have the problem is so overwhelming, we can't see our way through it and we don't know how to get out of it. We just have to keep that understanding that there's something just beyond that don't react emotionally to what is going on in the moment. Just know that there's something else just beyond that will even it out or make it better for you, that there is a reason why you're going through what you're going through, and it's going to make it so much more beautiful when you get to the other side. It's a very difficult process, but when you are of the mindset that there's going to be something that evens it out just beyond what you're going through, keep your eyes on that and give your burdens to Jesus, give your burdens to God by by not worrying because worrying in the moment is only going to keep your mindset down and it's not going to actually help you get through what you need to get through. You need a clear mind to get through and work through the issue. Amen. Well, Manuel, appreciate again you being here and uh, everyone else. Hey, uh, you need someone that you know needs this message. Go ahead and share this out to them and uh, go, go from there. So appreciate you being here again. And I continue to hope and pray that everything keeps going great for you. Uh, keep get uh, keep keeping uh, God and Christ in your uh, life, and um, take care of that little baby girl, and uh, keep that uh, girlfriend 
soon to be, maybe wife to be, who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'm throwing that out too far for you right now. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you being here. Everyone else, hey, do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. For motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.